The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Well, it's good to be back in the saddle again. I feel the need to introduce myself. I'm Tracy Graham. Uh, I haven't preached in five weeks, and uh, we've had been blessed to have so many people step up and share. Uh, I was sharing earlier, I think one of my favorite services was when I wasn't here. It's not because I wasn't here that it was my favorite, but it was because there was so many different people playing different parts. Uh, I think it was Kevin Wilsey did the welcome, David Ham did a baby dedication, Jared preached, and we let Granger lead worship that Sunday. Uh, but uh, So it was really awesome. I mean, it was just so neat to see uh, the Lord use so many uh, people each week. Uh, we've had so many people preaching, how, explaining how the gospel affects various areas of our life. And uh, I hope that you found that very helpful. I actually had a little butterflies this morning thinking, I'm preaching, do I still know how to do it? And uh, so uh, I'm excited to be here. Uh, thank you for the, giving me the opportunity to, to uh, take those weeks and just study in the Word without the pressure of Sunday, uh, Sunday's coming. The paper wasn't due every Sunday. And that does uh, afford me a great blessing uh, of rest as I studied. So thank you for that. Look forward to getting to First John. We're starting the study of First John today. And as I studied 1 John, we, we're going to look today at overview of the book and kind of set the, set the framework for how to understand uh, this letter as you read through it. And to help you do that each week, uh, that guide, that study guide that Kevin Wilsey mentioned uh, will be a very valuable tool. Go on our website, norrisferrychurch.org. The word community is not in there, norrisferrychurch.org. And on that homepage, just scroll and click study guide. The reason that's so important is I was reminded of what it feels like to be in your seat uh, the last five weeks. It is hard to be prepared to listen well and to get a lot out of the message. And it doesn't matter who's speaking, uh, you will get more out of the message if you are in the Word during the week before you come. And so we've given you tools. There's three categories of questions on that study guide. There's a, First, there's a commentary that kind of sets it up for you and explains what's going on and any, some challenging parts of the text, if there's any. Uh, but then the questions are under the category of what does it say? You work through the text. What exactly does this text say? What does it mean? And helps you draw out meaning uh, from the text. And then finally, how does it apply? And so you'll say, okay, God's spoken. What do I do with this? How do I need to apply this in my life? And then our members meet throughout the week after the sermon. They'll meet this week for the first time of this new year, and they'll wrestle with that, and they'll pray together and ask God and help each other to live out the Word of God, and that's how we're transformed into His image, and that's how we enjoy the life that He's blessed us to enjoy. Today we start First John, and as I thought about what he's doing in this letter, I thought of a great analogy that I thought would grab your attention. Now, some of you purists, be patient with me. I know you want to go straight to the Bible. Just hold on. Afford me this little moment. Ladies, those of you who have designer handbags, they're not purses. I've learned in my study, not of First John, but of handbags. Of, they are handbags, designer handbags, and they are a very high quality. Some are Louis Vuitton. Some are Chanel, not Channel. And some are Hermes, not Hermes, right? There's a Hermes family in here. It's Hermes. You didn't know that. I'm teaching you, aren't I? So these designer handbags come at a great cost. And you go and you save up your money 
You wouldn't dare go to New York and follow the little shady characters into the dark alleys to buy one cheaply made because you said, I want to feel good about mine. I want to know it's authentic. I don't want a really good imitation. I want mine to last a long time, stand the test of time. They have a lifetime guarantee. The quality will show itself over time. I want to wear it proudly. It's a beautiful work of craftsmanship. Can you tell the difference between an authentic and a good counterfeit? Imagine you're walking through the the shopping center at one of these beautiful places and you meet an acquaintance. I wouldn't dare call him a friend because a friend wouldn't do this to you. But you meet an acquaintance and you exchange polite niceties. And on your parting, she slips out. You know, they can sure make those handbags, fake handbags look real, can't they? And then they go, she goes on. And you're like, she always does that. And you think, this is real. This is the authentic deal. And you look down and right that time you see just a little piece of stitching frayed up. And then doubt enters your mind. Maybe this isn't authentic. Maybe this was just a really good counterfeit. And now you don't wear it with such confidence. It's affected your, how you feel about this handbag. Can you tell if yours is authentic? All the ladies are looking down at their bag. <laughs> Let me give you a couple of tests. Frank, put the uh, first one on the board. Here's a red Chanel <laughs> handbag. Frank, the next one, please. And here's another Chanel handbag. Back to the first, the red one, and the next one, the black one. Look closely. How many of you think the red one is authentic? Raise your hand. Be bold. How many think the red one is authentic? How many of you think the black one is authentic? A lot of you didn't vote. (laughs) Well, if you voted on the black one, you are correct. This one is authentic. Hard to tell, and it? Let's go one more. We're having so much fun. All right, here's two handbags. One is authentic. One is a great counterfeit. How many of you think the left one in the blue is, is real? How many of you think the one in the green background is real? Oh, I have no idea. I can't remember which one was real. I'm thinking it was the blue, the darker one. I can't remember, honestly. That shows you how hard it is. So the point is... It is hard to know if you have authenticity. And knowing whether you are authentic or not affects your disposition toward that. So I want to help you with one last video. Cue the video. This is important stuff. Can you see? This is important. Straight lines. Perfectly straight versus slightly slanted. Yep. Notice the detailed stitching. This is going to go somewhere, I promise. Feel the weight of it, plastic or real. Details. Now remember this because you're going to go home and look. Hermes. All right, so 
You now know how to know if your bag is authentic. Men, maybe you bought a Rolex. Well, I did a little research so that I wouldn't leave you in the dark. You need to feel the weight of it. It needs to be heavy, not like some lightweight Invictus off the internet. You have to know. You have to look at the numbers. You have to look at the date. It has a magnifying glass in there. Then that's more indication it's authentic. The etching should be engraved. You should feel it. The weight, the casing should be smooth. The second hand should not tick. It should be a smooth rotation. So now you know how to spot whether your Rolex is authentic or not. What does this have to do with 1 John? 1 John is written so that you can know with certainty that your faith, your salvation, your eternal life is authentic. It's important to know if you are the real deal or not. John, why did John feel obligated to write on this topic? Well, we can see from reading the book itself, some things were going on in the in the uh, circumstances he's writing, you can tell what's going on, though he doesn't tell you exactly what is happening. You can tell by what he's saying what, what must have been going on. John says, I want you to know that your eternal life is authentic. He says no, K-N-O-W, 32 times in his book. In John, 1 John 5, 13, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This series, the aim of this series, the aim of this letter is for you to know you have eternal life. For you to know your salvation is authentic. Our goal is not to implant seeds of doubt into your mind. Our goal is to plant confidence in your mind. Our goal is to help you live with confidence about the objective truth, claims of Christianity and the gospel. And we want you to know subjectively whether you are in that truth or not. Now, as we do this, some of you may encounter struggles. Some of you may be, you know, I I was banking my confidence on the wrong things. And if that happens to you, we want to help you. We want you to know with certainty that your walk with your salvation is authentic and not just a good counterfeit. Our prayer is that all of us with our lives will find these qualities of authenticity in our lives and prove them out day by day. Prove out our salvation in the sense of giving ourselves greater and greater assurance of the authenticity of our salvation by proving out, living out, discovering these qualities in our life, much like we have seen how to identify what is authentic about certain handbags or wristwatches, we want to know what do we look for in our own lives to know for sure that our salvation, our claim to be a Christian, is authentic. That's our aim. And so, why would John feel the need to write this? What was the occasion of his writing? Well, he You can tell by what's going on, apparently some individuals who started out great in the faith took a turn and things didn't go so well. John, the apostle 
who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, saw Jesus, listened to what Jesus said, tested and scrutinized his message, considered whether he was worthy of walking away from everything to follow him, who saw his miracles that had never been done before, who heard the authority of his teaching, who saw how he responded when falsely accused, who saw what was inside the man as he hung on the cross, who saw his death, his burial, his resurrection, who ate with him, who ate fish with him after he had resurrected from the grave, who saw Thomas touch the scars in his hands. John walked with him, talked with him, saw him, touched him. John the apostle was chosen by Jesus. Take this message to the ends of the earth. That John wrote the gospel, John, and his gospel message was, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That John writes this follow-up letter to say, if you're in Christ, I want you to know it. I want you to have certainty about this. Now, why was he worried about that? Well, these some of the people who heard that gospel message, claimed to believe that gospel, mes- gospel message, probably went through their connection group, were baptized, got a membership certificate, got a baptism certificate, and can, can name the day that they prayed a prayer and joined the church and got baptized. But then they started changing. Then they started having what they considered a more advanced experience of their faith, a more enlightened understanding. Perhaps they were the earliest influences of what came later to be known as Gnosticism, where they they came to see this great division between God is spirit and removed from this world, and this world and and material things and the physical world is, is evil and wicked, and they saw this great platonic divide between the two, and they began to think that through the spiritual experience, they ascend to the holiness of God, And those who have not experienced such experience are not truly saved, but they themselves, they view themselves as being saved apart from the necessity of Jesus. Because think about it. If you have gotten to the point where you think the world and the physical and the material is evil, you certainly aren't going to believe in a God who took on flesh. You see, they began to think that they ascended to God through their spiritualism, through their religion, through their different avenues. But the gospel says you don't ascend to God. God condescended himself to us. The holy God took on flesh and he entered into our sufferings. He entered into our trials, our temptations, yet without sin. He lived the perfect life. He claimed to be God. He claimed to offer forgiveness. He predicted his resurrection. He did all this with great authority and power. He worked miracles to substantiate his claims of divinity. He died, he buried, he rose again. He is our perfection. He is the only way to be made right with God. And these individuals were claiming that they had been made right with God apart from Jesus. 
And they started spreading this message in the church. But praise God, we can see from the text that they, most of the church overcame these liars, these false teachers. And so those false teachers moved on. And so then what's left in the church are those who did not buy the deception, those who persevered in the truth, those who stayed faithful and made sure that they did not leave this apostolic message, this truth of the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing to them because they are shaken, even though they're still in the church. Maybe something's happened in your life. Maybe you've gone through a wilderness wandering, you you lived in some crazy rebellious sin and, and you've worked your way back to the church and you're just riddled, you're here, praise God, and you're saying, I believe this message, but you're riddled with insecurities and you don't have assurance that it's authentic. My prayer is that this series will give you assurance. How can you know it's the real deal? Maybe you've been wounded by a pastor or a church or elders or members who claim to be Christian and they have hurt you deeply and you've limped into here trying to give it one more chance. I praise God that you're here. And I want you to know it's authentic. I want you to know the objective claims of truth, claims of the, of the gospel are true and I want you to come to the point where you know you're Subjectively, you know you're in that truth. So you can have confident assurance that it's authentic. So he was reacting to this idea that Jesus and his divinity is not necessary or not true. And so John, we're going to see these various texts that I'm going to read you. This is what John says. John 1, all these are 1 John. 1 John 1, 1 through 3. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and then manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John says, I want you to know Jesus is the way to be right with the Father. 2, 23-25, who is the liar? He has some hard words to work through. Who is the liar but the one who denies Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. You have the Son, you have the Father. You have the Father, you have the Son. They are inseparable, he says. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Jesus is the Son of God. John 4, 2 through 3, by this, you know, the spirit of God. You claim to have some advanced spiritual experience that has caused you to leave Jesus and the apostolic witness about Jesus, he says. He says, well, by this, you know, the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and is now already in the world. 
we have seen in 4, 13 through 15. We have seen and testify the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God through Jesus. John, 1 John 5, 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. You must believe Jesus is the Son of God. John, 1 John 5, 5, who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 1 John 5, 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants you to know you negatively can't have eternal life apart from Jesus, but positively in Jesus, you can know for certain you have eternal life. That's the first quality of authenticity to look for. The objective truth claims are real historical truth claims of a man who claimed to be God. As C.S. Lewis said, he's either Lord, because he really is God, or he's a lunatic, because he thought he was God, or he's a liar, deceiving everyone, knowing he's not God. You have to decide what you do with Jesus. There is no middle ground with Jesus. In the video of the purse, you had to look for perfect straight lines. In salvation, you have to know that Jesus is your perfection. If he is your perfection, it's authentic. Notice what I said. I didn't say your faith has to be perfect. I said he, your faith has to be in Jesus. He is your perfection. God condescended himself, took on flesh in order to become our perfection. We get credit for his perfection when we trust only in Jesus' perfection. Is Jesus your hope of perfection? Or are you trying to do something to ascend to God? Only authentic salvation is only those who Trust in Jesus as their perfection. Next, we see another thing that must have been going on is these people who had kind of experienced what they would call a higher mysticism, an enlightened experience that has caused them. This is not maturity. We're not talking about spiritual maturity. That's going to be addressed. We should mature in our faith, but they were leaving the truth claims of the apostles in their supposed maturing and advancing in the Christian faith. And what we see is this made them indifferent to moral behavior, indifferent to obedience to the commands of God. They consider themselves having already achieved a higher spiritual level. And so what we do in this flesh is meaningless and it made them indifferent to the commands of God. And John addresses this and says these false teachers are dead wrong. He says in 1 John 8, 1 through 10, if we say we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. 
in 1 John 3, 4 through 6. Everyone, and this is going to be challenging wording, and it's going to be what we study as we go, but everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, you know he appeared to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. So no one who abides in him sins or go on practicing sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. And we'll explain that does not mean that you cannot sin, but we're going to study what does he mean. And in 1 John 3, 8 through 9, he says the one who practices sin... This is the characteristic of their life. They make it a habit, embracing it. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So how can you be embracing the works of the devil? No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. He cannot sin like that because he is born of God. So in this series, we'll look at those challenging statements that the language of John is very convicting. And he's trying to say, listen, examine your lives. And just like we saw that you pick up the chain of the person, if it's light, it's plastic, this is not authentic. John is telling us, pick up your lives and do you feel the weightiness of the glory and the holiness of God in your heart? Do you care deeply about the holiness of God? So our second quality of authenticity is, do you see growing holiness in your life? John says, look at your life. Look for these things. I want you to know that you have eternal life. So do you see Jesus as your perfection? Do you see the weight of of the glory of the holiness of God growing and being taken seriously in your life. Finally, we see John has a final quality that gives us confidence of authenticity. That final quality is love. You see, you can believe everything right. You can recite the creeds statement of faith about Jesus, the Son of God, and He alone can make me righteous with God. You can say all the right things. And you can even be very obedient and moral and religious and look very Christian. And you can be a great counterfeit. Like Paul says, because you have all that, but you don't have love. You don't have God. Look what he says in 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Just one passage on love. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction or atonement to be the satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I love this. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. In other words, you want to see God, you see his love flowing through his people. His love is perfected in us. So finally in this series, we're going to be challenged over and over to examine our lives. Do we have spirit-produced, spirit-wrought love that comes from deep within the heart produced only by the spirit, love that goes beyond the natural human affections for us, for one another, but a love that produces within us a love for other races, a love for lower and higher economic classes, a love for people who are different than us, a love that embraces those who hate you, that is not natural. That is supernatural love produced by the Holy Spirit of God. This is not what the world calls love. This is the kind of love that is only possible as God first loves you, pours His love into you through a relationship of trust in Jesus Christ, and then He fills you with His Spirit, and the Spirit of God gives you uncharacteristic love, gives you unnatural love, gives you a desire to lay your life down, your rights, your privileges, your freedoms are sacrificed for the good of others, and for their joy, and for the glory of God, the way Christ has done for you. He says, you see that? Growing in your heart, you should know that's from God. That's authentic. And so what we see John doing throughout this book as we study is he's hardcore, man. He steps on some toes. The language is intentionally convicting and in your face. But he's doing that to draw a clear line to tell these remaining people in the church. He says, listen, you're in the faith. You're doing good. How do I know? He doesn't say, look for a badge of authenticity. He doesn't say, look at your baptism certificate. He doesn't say, look at your children's baby dedication certificate. He doesn't say, look at that time where you join the church and you sign that covenant. He doesn't point to those things. Those things are good and helpful and part of our religious activity. But what he says is if you want to know if you are really in Christ, if you want to know if your salvation is authentic, what are you doing with Jesus right now? Are you trusting? Are you maintaining a current posture as J.D. Greer says? Is your weight of your confidence of eternity resting solely in the work of Jesus Christ? Do you see His perfection as your only hope? If so, then number two, do you see a growing holiness in your life? Do you see a growing weightiness in your life about a deep, deeper growing concern for the will of God, the commands of God, the, the, to obey Him and to reflect His glorious holiness in your life? 
That should give you greater assurance of the authenticity of your salvation. And finally, do you see spirit-produced love flowing out of you that is reconciling you with enemies, with people of different races, ethnicities, economic classes? Can you genuinely love and have community with people who you don't naturally in the flesh have affinities for? He says that's how you have confidence in the authenticity of your claim to be a follower of Christ. Now, as he says, he's writing so that you can know for certain. That's what I want. It doesn't do any good to be a phony. It doesn't do any good to cause genuine believers to walk around in doubt. What we, what God wants is strong, confident believers. We're in an age that is constantly growing in skepticism and and enlightenment and questioning all the traditional teachings of the faith based on the solid historical word of God with objective truth that can be measured, that you can be held accountable to. More and more people are calling that into question and saying, how can you believe such an outdated thing? We need people who know the Christian faith and the gospel message that we claim is true. Objective truth. But we also need to know that we're in that truth. We need to know because we look at our life and we see evidence of the work of God's Spirit in our life producing holiness, growing holiness in our lives and producing love. By this they will see God by our love. I pray God makes us a people who are authentic, that we're the real deal. When people meet us, they say, I may not agree, but they are the real deal. And they'll be attracted to know, I want to know what they got. Or perhaps you're here and you're one of those who, for whatever reason, have been here and you're struggling with confidence. I want you to come to know that you can know that you know. You can have assurance of your salvation. And maybe it's salvation for the first time. What a blessing that would be. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we praise you for clarity that we get from your scriptures. Lord, when we meet with you and we study your word and we stop and think deeply and we pray and we study. Lord, it's, it's such a gift to have clarity and assurance that it's authentic. Lord, make us an authentic church. There's nothing more glorifying to you than your people authentically loving, trusting, obeying you. And there's nothing more joyful than the fellowship of authentic believers. I pray, Lord, you'll make this true of us in the days ahead. Would you just spur us on to prove out our salvation? Would you spur us on to live a life that is consistent with the claims that we have the God who is eternal in us, we have the God who is holy in us, and we have the God who is love in us. Prove it to ourselves and to the world as we live out our faith and with authentic lives.
It's in the precious, holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.